Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano. This episode of the Sports Spectrum podcast with Jonathan Bird, PGA Tour Pro, 2002 PGA Tour Rookie of the Year, is brought to you by Compassion International for $38 a month. You can release a child from poverty. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum, food, education, medical care, and vocational training, all done in the name of Jesus. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum and sponsor a child today. Jonathan Bird is our guest here on the podcast today. The PGA Tour Pro was a first-team All-America in 1999 and a graduate of Clemson University, the first four-time first-team All-ACC player in Clemson history. He was the 2002 PGA Tour Rookie of the Year, just a couple years after turning pro in 2000, and he won the 2017 Web.com Tour Championship. He's got five PGA Tour wins to his credit, two Web.com wins as well, and once finished tied for eighth at the Masters in 2003 and tied for 15th at the U.S. Open in 2003 as well. He's played in all the majors, the British Open as well as the PGA Championship. And it was fun getting to know Jonathan, getting to talk a little golf with him as well as hearing his journey of faith. And there's some good nuggets here. So get a notebook out, maybe get your phone out, get the notes section out in your phone and take some notes because he's got some really good, just practical advice. And there's something that he talks about towards the end called struggling well, which I wrote down in my prep and really enjoyed hearing about from him. We also get a great story of playing with Tom Watson and BJ Singh and Jack Nicholas, and uh, really just a cool moment there playing with some legends in the game of golf. Here's our conversation with Jonathan Bird, PGA Tour Pro here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to How talk you doing to you. Today? I'm doing great, Jonathan. Thanks for being here on the podcast. And let's start with Clemson. Uh, last month, you know, late or early January, I should say, Clemson wins the national title, national championship, beating Alabama. And we're talking here pretty fresh off of that game. Uh, just tell me what that was like to watch that game and see your uh, being a Clemson alum and seeing your team go all the way and win the national championship in college football. Well, it was a, a very exciting season. You know, we've, uh, you know, we have my wife and I have three kids, uh, 12 years old, 10 years old, and six years old. And my wife went to Clemson. I went to Clemson. We graduated the same year. So it's always special to get to go back to Clemson for football games. And our whole family is, is Clemson fans. So even our new dog we got for Christmas, <laughs> Clemson bandana, um, so it's just it's it's fun to be able to root for the one team and not be a divided home and and um, you know the last say four or five years it's been fun being a Clemson fan got a lot of wins and ACC championships and one Natty and then this year I feel like the team just kind of kept got you know gaining momentum throughout the year and playing better and better and watching Trevor Lawrence our freshman quarterback I mean they just. It's just fun watching them play. They're so aggressive, and they just kind of positive. They look like they have a lot of fun, and they kind of get after it. And it's just it's fun watching them. I mean, to be able to beat Alabama in such a big game and in the fashion in which they did it, um, giving God the glory the whole time, it's, it's fun to be a Clemson fan. 
Absolutely. And I wonder just your thoughts on Dabo and him coming to the program, turning it around, obviously, Coach Dabo Sweeney, uh, and being open about his faith. We posted something on, on Sports Spectrum the morning after they won the national title on January 8th about his faith and just being intentional but never forceful in who Christ is in his life and how he did that on the biggest stage last night post-game. Tell me about Dabo. Well, I mean, he's been he's been just really impressive, you know, the whole time. I mean, when he got the job as an interim coach, um, talk about about a guy who was prepared for the opportunity when it when he got his opportunity. He, I mean, I just hear stories about how he was um, just charting. If he had been, if he was the head coach, this is how he would run a program. And and when he got the opportunity, he tried. He really started putting those things in place. And and it really sounds like, from my perspective, he's just a guy who just has great vision. He has great belief. Um, He's super aggressive. He knows what, like, he wants to see. He knows who they are, who he is. You know, he's very grounded and and just, you know, where he comes from. And he just doesn't apologize for it. And, I mean, I just think that's, on a national scene, that's come across to be very real, very transparent, and very attractive because the guy and his team has so much fun uh, doing what they love to do. But they don't apologize for wanting to, wanting to win and wanting to be great. Um, he's just got a lot of good lines. But I think the thing that, as as me as a fan and also as an athlete, I, I just love to watch his belief. You know, he just he's so contagious on just wanting to have big goals and big visions and, and believe and, and, you know, what they can do as a program and what, he, what they can do individually. And they just get after it. And it's just, it's just fun to watch. Um, it inspires me to want to, you know, set bigger goals um, because they're, they've set some big goals and they've accomplished them. You know, he said that after they won the national championship, he said, you know, we're going to be here, but we're going to be here again. We're going to win another one. And dang, they just did it again. Yeah. And I love when he said, I remember when he said it in 2017, uh, that don't, he told his guys, don't let this be the biggest and greatest moment of your life. Meaning there's so much more to live for than just playing football and, you know, sports. And I wonder for you, share with us a little bit about your journey maybe to Clemson and your journey of faith and living for more than just being, you know, a golfer. Yeah. I mean, Dabo, I remember just not to digress, but he's just like that last national championship game. He said, you know, let the light in you be shine greater than the light shining on you in that moment. And he's big about loving each other and team aspect and loving others and, you know, serving others. And he, he really has a servant minded, uh, mindset for his players you know he wants to prepare them for life and, you know um, just not just their bodies but but their minds and their hearts um so for me uh i went to clemson i graduated i went uh, i graduated in 2000 uh, i grew up in a, a very solid christian home uh, i was exposed to the gospel many many times over and you know, I, I prayed to receive Christ when I was in middle school. Um, so I had I had just kind of moments, you know, where I, I felt like I was growing in my faith. But as I kind of got later on in high school, I kind of sidelined my faith. I kind of put it on the shelf. I, I had other 
other things I was interested in and I was excited about going to college to play golf and and just kind of get the full college experience and uh and when I got to Clemson I mean it was I, I didn't go to church I wasn't seeking out um anyone to grow in my faith uh I was just kind of taking it all in and, and just trying to have the best experiences I could and after about a year and a half at Clemson I you know I was doing great as a as a sophomore on the Clemson golf team I was an all-american I was making good grades I was uh having a lot of fun at school uh but was just kind of empty I was just I was just kind of I just felt like I'm miss I'm missing it somehow. I kind of feel like I'm doing everything I wanted to accomplish, but I'm missing it. And uh, and it wasn't until about midway through my sophomore year where I just I really felt like God was running me down and pursuing me. And just I felt like I was I had all the answers in my head of what it meant to be a Christian and have a personal relationship with Christ, but I was missing it in my heart. And uh, and I, that's where I, I made a decision just to really turn around a God that was pursuing me and turn around to him and, and just say, Lord, I, I want you to not just be the Lord of my mind, um, that I believe that I believe you in my heart and, uh, and you be Lord of my life and started to pursue a relationship with Christ. And, and, uh, um, I'm going long here, uh, but that's okay. You know, FCA, I started to get, uh, the first thing I've, started to get involved in to try to you know to grow was that Huston has a very large FCA um, ministry um, and I saw signs all over campus you know you meet on I think it was Thursday nights at 919 and I went to one of those and um, thousands of college students and uh, I was I went a year and a half thinking there's not many Christians on campus to see and like, man, there's tons of kids running after Christ in college and uh, started to see an attractive people living out uh, their Christian walk and it was attractive and they were having fun. And um, I just started to hang out with, with people and um, start to kind of pursue this relationship with Christ. When you uh, were golfing at Clemson, obviously, you had a lot of success. First first team, all ACC four times. The first one in Clemson history to do that as a golfer. First team, all American in 99. And then turning pro, uh, PGA Tour, turning pro the next year, and then PGA Tour Rookie of the Year in 2002. As your golf game started to evolve and you started to play on bigger stages, tell me how your faith played a role in that of that decision that you made when you were in college i i would uh i would be lying if i didn't say that my you know my faith is i mean i feel like i've just I've, there's been a lot of stumbling um and and I've, I've one of my buddies has a saying to struggle well and i really feel like i've, I've been able to continue to grow in my relationship with christ and uh, knowledge of him um, but there's been a lot of stumbles along the way in college and you know I didn't have really anybody disciple me a whole lot in college um, so there were periods of growth but there are also periods of just kind of you know temptation and didn't have a lot of Christians on my team so um, as I kind of got through the 
the college, you know, I still experienced success with my golf game. Um, but I was still kind of trying to figure out how, how I could grow and how I could glorify God and, um, with, with my golf and with school and, you know, the platform I had in college and then pursue, you know, um, as I turned professional, but it wasn't until I, I turned professional in 2000, I met some guys through a ministry, a college golf fellowship, uh, a non-denominational ministry to college golfers that does, you know, conferences at tour players' houses. And I went to Paul Sankowski's house, um, mm. just out of college. And it's a ministry where now there's, they have probably 10 or 12 of these conferences a year in the summer and winter. And, you know, we've done one at Davis's house. Ben Crane's done one at his house. We've got a lot of young guys who are doing them now. Webb Simpson and and uh, there are probably forty college guys in Pacton's Paul Stankowski's house. And a guy named Tommy Nelson um, taught. And for three or four, three days or so, we just you know had fun, loved on each other, and um, and and just kind of grew and that impacted me in a big way and some of the staff I became really good friends with and these guys started discipling me and I also had another older gentleman through search ministries who did the Bible study on the PGA tour start discipling me and that's really where I started to grow a lot in my faith um I had success in golf but I was also um about to get married and I just had a lot of questions cuz uh, just traveling about to get married, trying to grow in my faith and pursue the Lord. And um, I, I really couldn't have done that without some really solid men in my life to, to have, seek counsel and to just for them to kind of guide me in um, getting in the Word and um, also be able to communicate the gospel because I started to have opportunities to where I could speak to people yeah. and shoot my faith. And I think that was really important to um, for me, looking back, to have some men who helped me communicate the gospel well, because I didn't want to get up on stage and and uh, do a poor job of representing Christ. That, that's a real fear for a lot of people, I think, is sharing their faith, and especially as your platform increases, sharing your faith on bigger stages. We talked about Dabo earlier and being uh, ready and aware and intentional about sharing his faith on the biggest stage after they won it all. How was that for you as you first started speaking uh, and, and your platform started increasing and you started playing in you know, these, these big tournaments like the Masters and the U.S. Open? Tell me about how important that became for you and maybe the struggles early on of being able to not just communicate your faith, but to share your faith, to share what God had done in right. your life. Well, I, I really have, like, I have a lot of respect for people um, like you know, like Dabo, I feel like he's, you know, I've, when guys would share their faith and just, uh, I felt very automated, or, or to just say, I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Right. It felt like that's what all Christians said, and it's like what you should say, and and I I just had a desire to be a little more real, maybe a little more transparent. Um, I feel like Davo does a great job of thanking God for the opportunity that he gets to experience this moment and to give God the glory. Cause I just feel like it's real. Um, it's not like, um, I don't feel like it's like he's just saying what somebody told him to say, you know, yeah. it makes his faith look more real, um, and more personal. 
And so I've had a desire to do that. I feel like I've done a decent job of that. Um, you know, I remember I won the John Deere Classic in 07, and I got the microphone in my in my face after I won, and I just missed four cuts coming into that week. And I just, I just said I want to thank the Lord for giving me peace because I had, you know, I just missed four straight cuts and, and cuts, and God gave me great peace during that time to keep working and keep keep grinding. And then He gave me peace today as I was trying to win a golf tournament, and and I and I've. I've just had a great desire to be transparent. And when I've spoken, I've, I want to be transparent that, like, I struggle. You know, professional athletes don't have it all figured out. Like, it's, you know, there's times when we win, and that's awesome, but there's a lot of periods of struggle where you're just trying to, you know, figure out your game and make cuts and just kind of get by to get through those rough patches. And that, I think it's really important for us to be able to share those times as well. Jonathan Bird is our guest, the PGA Tour Pro on the Sports Spectrum podcast. Let me ask you about golf and maybe share a story with us of that first tournament that you played in and even maybe the first one that you had a win in and victorious. I know you mentioned the John Deere Classic, but I always think it's fun to hear about, you know, your first game, your first hit, your first touchdown, about that first professional tournament that you played in and just what that was like for you. Can you remember that? I do. I, uh... My actually the first professional event in I played in at college I actually got to play in a web.com event mm. and that was that was meaningful um, but I mean you're wanting to play on the PGA Tour like that's what you dream about um, I got to go to my first Masters I think I was in sixth or seventh grade that was a meaningful time because I just that's where I I captured this the dream of playing professional golf and how fun that could be uh, and then. My first tour event was in 2000, right after I turned pro. I did a Monday qualifier and qualified for the Michelob Championship. And and I made the cut and got to play on the weekend and made, I think, a $35,000 check, um, which at the time was just huge for me just to kind of be able to, you know, take the edge off to have some money to keep playing golf. Um, you know, I've made some bigger checks since then, but there's – over, you know, in the beginning to make a check like that, just to have some cushion from an expenses standpoint was huge. And, but just getting to play with some tour, like tour players and practice rounds at that tournament and, you know, some caddies, I remember caddies just making fun of me because of the gear I had. I had my first <laughs> professional bag. They, they actually misspelled my name and, you know, I had, a brush on my bag to clean my clubs and caddies are like, oh, you can't do that out here. You gotta, you gotta use a tee to clean your grooves. You can't use a brush. You know, you just felt like such a, you just felt like such a rookie, you know, and there weren't that many young guys out there when I first came out. So you were definitely the minority like today. I mean, it's just the tour is filled with, you know, 21 year olds and 22 year olds. And, um, I mean, to be 24 on the PGA tour isn't that big a deal anymore. But when I first came out, there weren't that many guys who were 22. Um, so it was just, it was more, I feel like it was a little more intimidating. But my first, my first year on the PGA Tour, just a couple quick stories. You know, I, I won the, one of the last, second to last term of the season, the Buick Challenge. Um, my season was, didn't get off the best start. Um, I made the first two cuts and then I missed seven of eight cuts my rookie year. 
So I went through a period of time where I was just like, I would be on the cut line with one hole to play and know I had to make par and I'd make bogey mm. and just, and just blow it and, or just have a bad Friday and, and just, it got mental. Um, and I was really struggling and I, I got to the uh, Greensboro tournament, um, Greensboro classic and last hole trying to, I was like on the cut on the number and I hit this wood into a par five and it actually hit a cop in the leg oh, and I got a, and I got a good bounce and ended up making birdie and made the cut like on the number. And then I played an unbelievable round on Saturday and Sunday ended up finishing third in the tournament. And that really turned my year around. I got to play with Tom Watson, my rookie year on a Saturday round at colonial. That was a great experience. And then the next week <clears throat> I was, I got was the last guy in the field on a Wednesday at the Memorial Tournament, Jack Nicholas's tournament. So I fly up in the afternoon, early afternoon on a Wednesday to try to see if I can get around the course and see the golf course. And I got, and I looked at the tee sheet right before I went out to play my practice round. And I got paired, I got Scott Hoke's spot because he withdrew, and I got paired with VJ Singh and Jack Nicholas. Oof. That's pretty good. <laughs> So needless to say, I played the course in about two hours, ran around, really nervous, but <laughs> got to play with Jack Nicholas at his home tournament. And then, uh, so that was a great experience. But, I mean, to, you, you want to win on the PGA Tour. My first win on the PGA Tour was at the Buick Challenge, the second last term of the year. I was in contention. I'd, I, would, I had kept my card. I went out on Sunday like three shots back, two shots back, made a couple good birdies early hit a bad tee shot on the seventh hole and actually hit my fiance and got a good bounce. I mean, it's a crazy story. Um, not many fans. I was on a par five. I got a good bounce off her shoulder blade, knock it on the green to two, make birdie and end up having a five hole stretch in the back nine of Eagle birdie, 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 Eagle shot 63 to win my first tour event. Wow. Uh, and I went from just keeping my card to winning to finishing 39th on the money list, which got me in the Masters. Started, we got married in the off season, Christmas, first tournament in Maui, the Mercedes Championship. So we had a really fun start to our marriage and great start my second year on the PGA Tour. So just awesome memories. I love that. I mean, you could tell stories all day long, too, which is such a great thing. Uh, you know, having played for so many years, I got to ask you just simply the Masters coming up here in April. What is that like to play at the Masters? You finished, I think, tied for eighth in 2003 there and have played it. What's that like to play in Augusta at the Masters? I mean, for me as a Southern boy, I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, uh, so really an hour and a half down the road. So that was the closest PGA Tour stop to my house. I mean, I, I grew up going to, you know, we went to the MCI Heritage uh, down at Hilton Head. Uh, that's what it was called back then. Yeah. And I got to see some tour players, Payne Stewart, Greg Norman, Davis Love, and those guys. But the Masters was just on a whole nother level. And so my, my second year on tour in 2003 was my first Masters. And, um, it's just such a unique tournament. I, I, I kind of tell people it's like when the, 
when I take when I'm taking my kids to Disney World, like when you see their faces and you see that place, it's such a machine. Like how they run Disney World and yeah. how manic it is, and you see your kids' faces. Like for a golfer, the Augusta National is Disney World. I mean, mm. it's like it's just everything's on overload. It's just the golf course is so manicured, so so beautiful. You've watched it all these years on television. You have all these great memories. And like that first time you get to play after you know you're in the tournament. I mean, you spend the whole day going, oh, this is where Larry Moss chipped in. This is where Tiger chipped in. This is, and I mean, your first practice round takes you like six hours because you're just so excited to be out there hitting, you know, you, you have such a memory catalog of all these great champions hitting all these shots around the golf course. And I think that's part of the reason it makes it so special. Um, it's played the same course every year. And, I mean, it's the greatest tournament on on earth. Um, the British Open is a very close second, but the Masters is just so special. Let me ask you, as we wind down here, Jonathan, a couple questions. Going back into the faith world a little bit, and adversity, I think, is a, lot, a word I like to talk to a lot of people about here on the podcast. Everybody faces adversity, certainly as a golfer. You mentioned you know, missing seven out of eight cuts or whatever it was you said. I mean, that's adversity on the course. And then there's adversity off the course and just in life. And we all deal with tough times and difficult moments where our faith is tested. Can you share maybe a time where you had to rely on your faith to help you get through some adversity? Could be on the course or even more uh, away from the course in, in, your, in your personal life. Well, I've had <coughs> I've had. Um... I've had definitely had periods of time where I've struggled with my game, um, none more than, say, some of the last, say, five or six years. Like, I've lost my card, and I think it was 2014 or 15, and had to go back to the Web.com tour. Um, and that was, those, were really, those were really difficult times. Um, you're just not sure, like, if you still got it you can continue to play so some of those some of those things are, are extremely challenging i'm still kind of going through a period of time where i don't have full status on the pj tour i'm trying to get back to having full status so like i can still win out there and yeah so definitely adversity um but probably the probably the most difficult time for for myself and my family was you know my dad's passing um and illness he we were we were actually at a clemson football game in 2000 uh, let's see, 2007, and my my dad and brother just got back from the the pub links, U.S. pub links. He caddied for my brother, and we were at a Clemson football game, and we had a son who was one years old, Jackson, and we I came back at halftime to pick up my dad and mom, and my dad had a seizure outside the stadium, mm. and they rushed him to the hospital, and they found a a plum sized tumor in his brain, and you know. Within five hours, my dad. We find out my dad has stage four cancer, brain tumor. He's going to need to get operated, and they the next day they told us the life expectancy was a year. Um, so that really, obviously, that really rocked our family. Um, just as a, a a young man trying to figure out life and his career, and just got married, having kids, like you just always assume your dad's always going to be there. And, um, and the, the reality of that, that his life was, you know, he only had so much to live without, outside a miracle from God. We believed in that. We prayed for that. And my dad 
you know, fought hard for about a year and a half. He made about a year and a half. His tumor came back, and then it was just it was just really hard from there. Um, my dad passed away in 2009, uh, July 7th, 2009. And so that was some major adversity, like golf. I remember playing at the Memorial during that period of time, and I played because I, I wanted my dad to be able to watch, and he wanted me to be playing, and but I just was numb on the golf course. Golf just didn't seem very important at that time. Um, but I, and I really feel like God was teaching us some lessons. You know, obviously, dependence about Him. Um, that this life is not all there is, and um, and just just to trust Him through the adverse times. I feel like I, I grew a lot in my faith, and uh, my family grew a lot in their faith. And and God saw us through it. You know, we got to see a God. You know who promises to never leave us and never forsake us. And he never did. And he gave us peace during a very difficult time. So if God can do that during that period of time, he can do that with any difficult situation, any adversity anybody's facing. You know, our God is big enough and he loves us and cares for us and we can trust him. Um, ultimately, we can trust him because he gave his son for us and he died on the cross for us um, to glorify God and to to give us an, the opportunity to spend eternity with him. So because of that, we can trust him with any situation. Um, John, so I mean, our family looks back on that period of time and we're grateful for what God taught us. It was very painful though. Jonathan, and thank you for sharing that. I know that's sometimes not easy to share. Uh, as we close here, and we have a question that we ask all of our guests on the podcast, you kind of mentioned that the Lord taught you some lessons during that period of time, and that's nine, almost 10 years ago now. What is he teaching you today? What is he teaching you in 2019 in this phase of life where you are as a husband, a dad, a golfer, where God has you right now? What are you learning from him? Well, I think I'm, I think some of the things I'm learning, you know, I'm really, I've, I've struggled in the area of prayer life, um, my own prayer life. And, um, I'm, I'm, I'm still learning dependence upon him. I'm still, I mean, I, I, when I, when I get to speak to a lot of people, I talk a lot about identity, you know, not placing our identity, not in as men, it's really hard to separate who we are from, is from what we do. Um, you know, I'm more than just a, a professional golfer. Um, and I, and I speak on that and it sounds, you know, really easy, but it's hard to apply it. You know, I very often find my identity in my score or, or, or my top tens or how I'm performing or, or finding my identity in my children or in my marriage or who I am in the community. And like, there's so many things we can find our identity in, but ultimately the only thing that, that matters um, the only thing that that is 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 like a firm foundation is to find our identity in Christ and what he says about us that I am holy and blameless and I'm loved by the heavenly father and um, when I place my identity in that my my I'm very secure in who I am and and it doesn't depend on how I perform um, so I think I think he's always teaching me that but he's teaching me to depend on him in prayer he's teaching me just to to keep trusting him to keep you know believing um to keep setting high dreams um and he's also just teaching me to how to be a you know a better husband to love my wife well and to love my kids well because it's just 
this age, it's, it's easy to get distracted, um, to get passive as a man. Um, I want to continue to be intentional with my time and work hard. Um, so he's definitely teaching me that and I'm, I'm struggling well, but I'm, I'm still growing. So I'm thankful. I love that line struggling well. And I actually wrote it down in my prep here. I'm going to write it in my journal and I think I'm going to steal that and bring it to the men that I spend time with. Cause I just think it's so right, uh, right on with us as human beings and especially as men that we are going to struggle but at least if we're struggling in the right direction, you know, failing forward is another thing you hear a lot in, in offices yep. and businesses. I think that's the same kind of thing, struggling well. So, Jonathan Bird, thanks so much for being here on the podcast. It's been great to, to talk to you, to get to know you, and hopefully we'll catch up again soon. Yes, sir. Thanks for your time. I enjoyed it. And many thanks to Jonathan Bird, five-time PGA Tour winner, for joining us here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at jbird. PGA, the letter J, B-Y-R-D, PGA on Twitter. Many thanks to Jonathan for joining us here. We thank you for listening. We thank Compassion International for sponsoring this podcast, $38 a month, releasing a child from poverty. That's what it's all about with Compassion International, the most trusted child development ministry in the world. The website's Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum, Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum, food, education, medical care, vocational training. Over 150,000 children choosing to follow Christ alone in the last year. 1.8 million children in 25 countries being helped by the great work at Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Sponsor a child today. Thanks for listening. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the social medias. Just search Sports Spectrum. You'll find us there. All kinds of stories on the intersection of sports and faith. Of course, subscribe to this podcast everywhere podcasts are found. iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, everywhere podcasts are found. And all of our content is over at SportsSpectrum.com, where you can become a member of our family by subscribing to our quarterly magazine. It's a great deal, just $18 for the Sports Spectrum magazine. Become a member Partner with us, 18 bucks, a great tool to hand out, whether it's at a men's ministry or a church function or a school event. Sports Spectrum Magazine, the cornerstone, the foundation of this ministry is the Sports Spectrum Magazine. And you can subscribe today for just $18 over at sportspectrum.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time for a brand new episode of the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Have a great rest of your day.